0: Thank you, Miss Gloria. Mike, you are absolutely right. It's so good to hear you singing that song, Miss Gloria. We so appreciate that. If you got a Bible, go to Isaiah chapter 9. Today we're going to finish up our series through Isaiah chapter 9. Or actually, I'm sorry, next week we're going to finish it up. Don't get ahead of myself here. I don't know about you, but I love Christmas. Um, I've always loved Christmas. I've always enjoyed, um, and I'm going to be honest, I've always enjoyed not only the celebration of the 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 birth of our savior but i i enjoy the the other things about christmas too i enjoy the family time i enjoy the trees i enjoy the the presents and stuff a lot of my um, best childhood memories revolve around christmas memories and that anticipation of christmas morning and getting gifts and all this kind of stuff Um, in fact i think back on my childhood And uh, I I don't remember as many of the gifts that I received as much as I remember the anticipation about opening the gifts that I received. Uh, I found myself a couple weeks ago, um, was sitting in our living room talking with the boys, and I started telling them stories about my childhood Christmases and how I used to sneak and open things and how I used to find my gifts early, and how I had developed this skill for shaking boxes and figuring out what was inside the boxes. Um, and I'm telling them all these things, and then Kim is. Look, I look over at Kim, and she is giving me this look like, "What are you doing? <laughs> Why are you sharing this stuff?" And the next day, my Will comes up to me with a bo- with a wrapped gift for him in his hand, and said, "Dad, can you teach me how to shake boxes and know what's in them?" And I'm like, "Son, no, that's that's only a master only knows those things. You know, you're not you're not there yet, son." But uh, I do enjoy it. But I have I learned something over the years. Um, you always save your best gift for last, don't you? Isn't that true? You know, if you got multiple gifts to give to somebody, you always give that best gift last because the anticipation builds and then out comes the big gift. You know, God does that, doesn't he? I mean, this life is good. This life is great. This life is wonderful. God has given us a tremendous blessing in life, but isn't the best coming last? Isn't it? Isn't there coming a day in which we will enter into his gift of eternity for us in heaven and we will live there forever? The best is going to be last. And in Isaiah chapter 9, it is, as Isaiah, through God's word, is giving us these titles of this Messiah, who this deliverer is going to be, he gives us these wonderful titles, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. Those are tremendous facts. Things about our Savior that we need to know, but I believe He saved the best for last when He says that our Messiah is to be our Prince of Peace. Let's read it Isaiah chapter 9. Let's start in verse 6. It said, Therefore, to us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. As I thought about today and when I was going to preach on today and thinking about this title, Prince of Peace, I got to thinking about that word peace. What does it mean that Jesus is our Prince of Peace? You know, we think about that word, and most of the time when we hear that word, we think about peace and quiet, right? We think about a nice, quiet night at home. Um, we think about a, a sitting on the beach by ourselves and, and, and not hearing any noise and hearing the waves. We think about maybe sitting in, a, uh, sitting in the woods out in nature and there are no other noises going on, and we think that's peace and quiet. But what does it mean here? You know, we hear hear the word peace surrounding the Christmas holidays all the time. We talk about peace on earth, all this kind of stuff. We hear the angels declare in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, angels who appeared to those shepherds sang this song, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When Jesus was presented in the temple after his birth, you remember that that story whenever that, that man Simeon was there. And, and he was a very godly man, and he prayed this prayer. He said, "Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word for my eyes, have seen your salvation. Peace always seems to surround Christmas. And Luke, 9, I mean in, in Isaiah 9 in the, in the Hebrew there, that, that word for peace is the word Shalom, Shalom. And one of the meanings for shalom is the end of a conflict, the end of war, the end of fighting. And I think what he's trying to emphasize here is that this Messiah who is coming, who has come, and Jesus was to be the one who would end all war. The one who one day will end all physical war. The one who is ending all spiritual war. He is the only one who can make peace between God and man, and can who can truly bring peace to earth. We see this war conflict through this passage. Like back up to verse 4, Isaiah 9:4. And, and you see this conflict idea. He says, the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Th- those are words of oppression. Those are words talking about how the Messiah was coming to set people free. A yoke of a burden, a staff of a shoulder, the rod of an oppressor. And in verse 5, he says, For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. He's envisioning a day where there would be no war, there would be no need for army gear because the wars are over. We can use that stuff for fuel for a fire because this Messiah has brought peace. And in verse 7, with the conflict, with the war gone, let's see what the Messiah does. He says, of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. He's a man of peace. And so this peace that we're reading about, when we hear Him say that He's the prince of peace, this is more than just peace and quiet. This is more than just some superficial feeling of of comfort. This is real peace. This this Messiah came to end the conflict with sin that's been raging since Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree. And later in this book, Isaiah tells us how this prince of peace was going to make peace. And it was through his own suffering. Isaiah 53, he talks about the Messiah. The Lord speaks through Isaiah and says that the Messiah was going to be the suffering servant. He would be despised, he would be rejected, but yet it was through his his condemnation that he would bring peace through his blood, through his suffering. Isaiah 53, 5, we read this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. You ever heard that saying, I didn't start this fight, but I'm going to be the one to finish it? You ever heard that maybe back when you were a kid or something? Um, I believe Isaiah here is saying the Messiah didn't start the war, but he's going to be the one to finish it. And he's going to be the one to bring absolute peace. But there's a principle here I want us to understand. I want us to catch in what Isaiah says here in Isaiah 53. And we see it through Scripture And that's that peace always comes through conflict. For there to be true, genuine peace, there has to be conflict first. Christ's entire life was surrounded with conflict. It was surrounded with battles, with raging war. I mean, let's just think about it for a second. He was born into a land in which the people lived in fear of the oppressors that ruled over them, the Roman Empire. Not long after Jesus was born, his parents had to flee to Egypt. Why? Because Herod wanted him killed. There was a conflict raging there. When Jesus began his ministry, all throughout his ministry, you see conflict. You You see dispute. The Pharisees, the religious elites hated him. They despised him. His followers at times questioned him. His family thought he had gone insane. People thought he was was crazy. They didn't know what to think of him. Multiple times people wanted to kill him. There was was a point where they wanted to throw him off a cliff. There were points where they wanted to arrest him, to have him put to death. But yet he's always eluded them, and we see that conflict come to a climax where? In the cross. When Jesus went to the cross to purchase our peace, our Messiah, our Lord Jesus offers you peace... And it was a peace that was purchased through his conflict, through his pain. It was a victory that came through his blood. But you know what? As I thought and prayed through this, what came to my mind this week was this. For us to receive that peace, we have to go through conflict. We have to go through a little bit of an internal war. This morning, I want us to think about two different aspects of peace that that Jesus offers us. But I want us to see that that peace always comes through conflict. Point number one, Jesus offers us eternal peace, eternal peace, but it requires your surrender. It requires your surrender. Now, whether you know it or not, Whether you have admitted it or not, whether you've realized this, those who are apart from Christ are at war with God. When you were apart from Jesus, before you came to Jesus Christ, if you were saved today, you were at war with God. And if you are not saved today, the Bible tells us that you are currently at war with God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Romans 5, 8 tells us that before Christ we were enemies of God. Romans chapter 8 Verse 7 says, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's a pretty grim picture, is it not? That's a pretty, pretty dark place. And what it makes clear is that sinful man is at war with God, but Christ has made the way for peace by dying on the cross as a sinless payment for our sin. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20 says that Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot, we we, excuse me, we we can have the the peace of eternal salvation, but it's going to come through conflict. You know, we have to be careful that we do not take the decision of salvation too lightly. We have to be careful that we do not think that this is some easy decision or that it's something that you just utter these magical words and suddenly you are saved because that's not what salvation is. When we invite someone to pray to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we are asking them to turn their life upside down. Are we not? We're asking them to completely flip their life In a different direction. To admit to recognize that they are sinners and that they need to be forgiven. To admit that they've been living in rebellion against the one and only true and holy God. To admit in humility that they cannot save themselves and to reorient their entire life under Jesus' direction, they are no longer the master of their own life. Those are not easy decisions. That's not something you just do, uh, you know, on a whim. You're talking about asking someone to leave behind their old life and begin a new life. That's a conflict. That's a revolution. But for the peace, that eternal peace that Jesus offers to come, for that to come, that conflict must be waged. It's kind of like this. Um, If if you knew, if, if the doctor told you you had a tumor in your body that was cancerous, How do they get the tumor out? By pain. That surgeon has to cut on you. He has to shed your blood. He has to cause pain. He has to wound you to heal you. He, He has to make you feel worse to make you feel better. For some, they refuse to turn to Christ... because the gospel makes them feel bad. Because when they hear the gospel of Jesus... They don't want to, they don't want to, come, to grasp, come to grips with what the gospel makes them realize. They are sinners in the hands of an angry God. That they are enemies of God. They don't want to think of themselves that way. We like to think of ourselves as good people, right? We like to think of ourselves as all nice people. Even before we came to Jesus, oh, I was nice. I just needed a little help to get saved. I just needed a little bit of help. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you were absolutely lost. You were dead in your sin, and there was no hope for you, absolutely no hope apart from Jesus. And if you want that eternal peace, you must surrender your life to Christ. You must come to the point of realizing you cannot do it. There is a raging conflict in your heart. Sin wants to rule over you. And the only hope you have is to completely lay your life before Jesus. To lay your weapons down, in a sense to surrender to the Lord, to realize there is no negotiation with Jesus. There's no coming to Him on your terms. There's no compromise. He demands your complete surrender. And why is that? Because Jesus is not just a way to heaven. He is the only way to heaven. And it is only through surrendering your life to Him that you can have eternal peace. He offers us eternal peace, but it's going to come through the conflict of surrender. But there's another aspect of peace I want us to see. And that's this, point number two. Jesus offers us daily peace, but it requires your submission. It requires your submission. You know, as a Christian, we, we likely all know about the eternal peace. We, we've heard about heaven and what awaits us in the next life. But sometimes in the... Um, In the difficulties that we go through in this life, and the hardship, we can we can easily slip into this mindset of thinking, you know what? One day I'll have the peace that God wants me to have, but right now I've just got to get through today. I just got to suffer through. I just got to grin and bear it. You know, it is what it is. You know, know, I just got to deal with it. I'm never going to have that peace, but one day I will. But yet Jesus said things like this in John 14 verse 27. He says, "Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you." Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He was offering his disciples peace right there in the moment. And he inspired other people in the Bible to write things like this. In Philippians 4, 7, Paul writes, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Those verses are speaking about a peace in this life here and now. But once again, that daily peace is going to come through conflict. It's kind of like that old saying that, you know, old habits are hard to break. Ever had an old habit that you just couldn't seem to get rid of, just can't seem to break? Well, that act of daily submitting our life to the Lordship of Jesus um, doesn't come easily, does it? It doesn't come easy. It's not like we just automatically get saved and our lives are perfect and we are immediately obey everything the Lord told us to do. We still have to fight a daily fight against the tendency to want to take back the reins of lordship over our life. In Romans chapter 6 through Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about how oftentimes he knows the right thing to do. He says, I know the right thing to do. I know what I need to do, but yet the flesh flesh seems to come back up in me and I do the wrong thing. And the flesh wins out. It's like, I know I need to submit. I know I need to do the right thing. I know I need to obey Christ. I know what it is, I just can't seem to do it. I've been there. I think if you're honest, you'd say you've been there too. That even as Christians, sometimes we... Don't live so peace filled because we're not living so submitted to the Lord. I think I've lost track of the number of times in my life in which I knew the right thing to do. And yet I failed because of my selfishness. I failed because of my pride. I failed because of my greed, and so on and so forth. We could go. That path to daily peace is going to lead us every day through inner conflict in which we're going to have to choose am I going to submit myself to the Lord today? Or am I going to try to rule back over my life? And sometimes we're literally going to find ourselves wrestling with Jesus. Fighting with the Lord. And for some, that's not the Jesus that they want. Back in 1999, there was a story I read this past week of... Uh, that happened in Chicago uh, and it's called the Daily Plaza and they set up this giant nativity scene there. Some of you might have seen this before. It's one of the largest in the world. Um, There's a small picture of it. It's much larger than that. I just couldn't find a picture that had the whole thing in it. 1999, um, someone stole the baby Jesus out of the manger and so they uh, didn't know what to do. Eventually, the police recovered the baby um, at a bus station because of an anonymous tip. And so they brought the, the little figure back there, placed it in the manger, um, decided they were going to try to protect that baby Jesus a little better. So they put padlocks and chains and cables around it to try to make sure that Jesus stayed in the manger. Well, it didn't work. 2004, it got stolen again. Uh, this time it was a college student who managed to get in there and figure out how to slip the baby Jesus out from under all the cables. Well, they, they caught him after two days. They returned Jesus To the manger, charged the guy with the misdemeanor, decided they had to up security again. They came up with a group of people they call the God Squad. And their whole role at this place is to make sure that the baby Jesus stays in the manger and never leaves that manger again. You know, as I thought about that, I'm afraid that's how we approach Jesus sometimes. We want to keep Jesus in that manger. Because sweet, cuddly baby Jesus doesn't offend us much. He doesn't force us to submit. He's just sweet, cuddly baby Jesus. And he's easy to follow because he's a sweet, cuddly baby. And we want to keep him right there, but yet Jesus didn't stay a sweet baby, did he? He didn't stay this little cuddly baby. Child, the same Jesus who told us, we read about in Isaiah chapter 9, who it says He's coming as the Prince of Peace. He said this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. It's going to be on the screen. He says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That, that doesn't sound like sweet, cuddly baby Jesus, does it? That sounds like a Savior who came to create conflict, to create division. That word sword there it is pointing to division. And he's saying that for his followers, there will be division, that we must divide ourselves, remove ourselves from sin. We must remove ourselves from those things that are sinful influences over our lives. If we are to truly follow Christ and to submit to him daily, there will be division in our heart as we learn to live for him rather than for ourselves. That's why in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, we read things like this. I have been crucified with Christ. Crucified. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. been crucified with Christ. That's a daily conflict of saying I'm dying to self and living for the Lord. Luke 9.23, Jesus said this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That does not sound like an easy walk. It is a difficult path. Every day as we live under the Lordship of Christ, we must make the decision to die to self, to die to sin, to die to our old ways, to die to the desire to be the master of our own life. And if we do not, we will never find the daily peace that the Lord wants to give us in this life. We will never find it. And there are many who never find that daily peace in Christ because they refuse to go there. They do not want to fight that fight. They do not want to to go through that. And that peace proves elusive. But when we submit to Christ's rule over our lives, every day there is a peace that will come over us. And that peace comes in in a form of trust in the Lord and in His will and in His way. A trust that God knows what is best for us, we begin to truly believe God's promises even in the darkest hours. We can have that daily peace, but it's going to require your submission. Have you found that peace? Child of God, do you know that daily peace of walking with the Lord, of submitting your life to Him? of trusting His will and His way. Uh, Are you able to, like Christ did in the garden, pray this prayer, not my will be done, but yours be done? Christ was in a moment of conflict because He knew what was coming. Yet what did He do and where did He find His peace? By submitting Himself to the Father. And that's what we must do. That you know you can't find that daily peace unless you first found that eternal peace. A lot of people try to find peace in a lot of different ways and they try to do it without the prince of peace. And it's not possible. There is no way that you can find the peace in this life unless you first found the peace for the next life. And so today, do you know the prince of peace? Have you given your heart and have you given your life to him? If not, why not? Father God, I pray that if there's someone today who is struggling with a lack of peace in their life, maybe they realize today that they do not have that eternal peace of eternal life that only Jesus offers through the cross. I pray that today they would find the Prince of Peace and they would come to be a part of His kingdom. By admitting their sin, repenting of it, asking the Lord Jesus to forgive them of their sin, making them the Lord, the Savior of their life. Father, if there's someone who needs to make that decision today, I pray that in boldness they would step out in this invitation, come forward so we can pray with them, so we can encourage them, give them guidance, talk about what needs, needs to happen next for them as a believer. And Father, I pray for those of us who are believers in this room, that maybe we're some of us are walking through seasons of life where we just don't feel God's peace. I pray that right now we would begin to examine our hearts and ask ourselves if there's some area in our life where we have, have refused <laughs> to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. Is there something that we're holding on to, some corner of our life where we say I want my will, not your will God Father if that's the case I pray that today would be that day of for that individual to find the peace in this life that you offer God we thank you that you didn't just give us a picture of peace in the next life you promised us we could have peace in this life and I pray we would find it daily submitting to you and your will and your way. Father, have your way with us in this time of invitation. I pray that your spirit would move in this place and all those who need to make decisions would feel the confidence of their heart that you are leading them and they would step out and come down the aisle. And it's in Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?